Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, I'm Craig and welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories, the football podcast that gets under the shirt. In today's episode, I'm joined by two very special guests, football finance expert Kieran Maguire and comedian and broadcaster Kevin Hunter-Day. During our chat, I speak to Kevin and Kieran about their excellent podcast, The Price of Football, and its mission to expose the increasing number of instances of football's financial wrongdoing on behalf of the fans. We also talk books, match of the day too, and there's even a break in the middle for a cup of tea. Later, and as always, I ask the chaps to pick out their three favourite football shirts. Remember, you can listen to this and other episodes of Football Kit Memories on all major audio platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do like, follow, share, but above all, please do enjoy the podcast. Okay, so today on the podcast, I'm joined by two guests. It's the co-host of the Excellent Price of Football podcast. It's Kieran Maguire and Kevin Day. How are you, chaps? Uh, all right, thank you. Yeah, it's not bad. Just admiring your beard. It's very good. <laughs> this is audio only, but people can Google pictures of my beard if they so wish. But thank you very much for the compliment. Uh, it's a real pleasure to speak to you both. I'm a huge fan of what you do on the podcast. So uh, just really do appreciate you guys taking the time. Thanks very much. Um, I, I was about I was about to say, Craig, I was admiring your bed, but I thought it might be misconstrued. <laughs> yes, that's, that sounds a bit sinister, Kieran, but you know. Yeah, I mean, you're breaking the illusion. This is all done very professionally in the studio. Like that. It's definitely not in my bedroom, chaps. Um, so, okay, so look, the Price of Football podcast, um, if I could explain it and you can correct me, I guess it, it's a podcast that looks at the financial side of football, both the management of and also more so the mismanagement of mostly with um, clubs around the leagues in England, but also abroad too. Is that about right? Uh, yeah, we very rarely spend time discussing the sound, decent management of money in English football because it very rarely happens. Uh, neither Kieran nor I thought this pod would last longer than four weeks when when the producer approached me to say he had the idea for a podcast about football finance I said well first of all how did you get my number <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly that sounds like a terrible idea it really does and I, I, I'm legendarily bad with money but he, he said well I've heard you talk about that on radio before so you'd be the ideal person to put together with the country's leading expert on on football finance and uh, luckily or unluckily, the first week we did was when the whole Berry story was going tits right. up. Right. And Kieran was able to shine some light on that, that the rest of football was horrified to hear. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of gave us a kickstart. And within uh, three or four weeks, we were already getting a bit of interest. In, and then sort of 10 weeks later, the, the slightly awkward elephant in the room, was it, it took four weeks for Kieran to tell me he was a Brighton fan. Ah. And for those people listening, thinking he's a mature man, it wouldn't matter. If he had told me he was a Brighton fan before the pod started, the pod would not have started. <laughs> it's simple as that. Um, but well, both of us, I think I, I, I'll let Kieran continue for this because both of us are, we're not mystified by the success of the pod because we know how much people love football. And it, it, it's amazing to me, of all the things I've done, this is the thing that generates most interest. Of, of all the things that I've done, people sidle up to me in pubs and ask me about football finance more than anything else off the back of this pod. And it's because I think we've reached a stage in football. And as you say, we talk about football all over the world at every level. We, we It's a conscious decision that we, we speak about you know Rafe Rovers and and the Bahamas as well as as well as Manchester United and, and Bayern Music Bayern Munich people I think suspect that things are coming to a head and people suspect mm. that control is being taken away from fans and that we're reaching a situation where fans if they ever did have any influence almost whatsoever is being taken out of their hands and and people are worried people are scared you know my mm. my own club has been into administration. We were, you know, Palace were five minutes from liquidation in 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 twenty twelve. Wow. Right. You know, Brighton and Hove Albion were without a ground for for six seven years. People people are scared. People are worried, and people want reassurance that their club is in safe hands. And unfortunately, we can really very rarely give them that reassurance. And you know, and the way it works is because Kieran knew all this stuff already, but Kieran teaches me and and. I'm kind of like the useful idiot who represents everybody at home because I'm the one going, "What? That can't be right!" You know, when yeah, yeah. when Kieran told me about the the you know Premier League's fit and proper persons rules, you just go, "That can't that can't possibly be the case," and yet it is. And yet, so you know, I, I think we're the first to sort of shine a light into those into those corners. And and, and also, let's be fair, part of it is that we're of a similar sort of age. We both like the same sort of music. We've both got a really childish sense of humour. Yeah. We both bicker a lot about things. So there's an element of, there's a lot of casual gossip going on in the pod as well as, as entertaining <laughs> information. That's really interesting. So I guess like you see yourselves as kind of almost being whistleblowers in this world of football that is becoming increasingly kind of taken away from the fans, as you say. One one of the things I wanted to ask you is about the actual fan engagement that you guys do. So, I mean, I really like the fact that you get fans groups on the podcast, interview them and give them a platform as well. But you also take questions from fans too. And there seems to never be something that you can't answer or at least have a dive into. Like, I just wondered, like, how that works, really. Like, how you're able to just know all this stuff. And if you don't know it, able to kind of dive into the information, as I say, and find out. Um, We, we do a lot of, background research we, we, as we the show we has don't. grown <laughs> we don't <laughs> um as the show has grown we, we've built up a network of people in the game so we know some very uh very leading sports lawyers uh we know people who are chief executives agents uh pie pie manufacturers and and you, it's just a case of uh we've always said to anybody that comes on the show you, don't worry about it. You're our guest, and you know. And, and my my view when you when you're dealing with the guest is if somebody if somebody comes to my house and he's wearing absolutely shit shirt, mm-hmm. you don't tell them they're wearing a shit shirt. You just be nice. <laughs> so we've never been rude to anybody, and and, and I don't think yeah, you know, I think we, we do try to treat people professionally, and and that way you build up an element of trust. Um, I 
am a nerd. You know, I've, I, I, I have no social life beyond this podcast, effectively, these days and going to the odd concert. So uh, I, 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 I love the questions you know, yeah. because it, it does send me down rabbit holes. And if I, if I can't find the answer, we, we're now in a position where we know somebody that, that can answer. Um, yeah, and of course, you know, we, we, we try to be sort of as professional as we can be. Mm. And, yeah, we, we don't give away sources and so on. Um, and fans appreciate that. But the, the, the world of Google and the world of Companies House, which, which, is, which is a huge part of, of my background, um, does actually help me to find nuggets and bits and pieces and, and somehow we've muddled through. I don't think we've had many questions, if any, that we've not been able to answer. Um, okay. the, the only downside is uh, we've got a backlog now of probably six or seven months worth of material. Wow. Um, okay. to, to such an extent that um, the former owner of a club, uh, and I, I can't, I won't give the names away, uh, sent, uh, sent a, a 10 page email uh, complaining mainly about me. <laughs> uh, with, with regards to his stewardship of the club, and I only got that email forwarded to me two days ago, uh, and, and it was, and you know, I, I feel really bad because yeah, you know, I, I would like to have replied at the time, and, and I will yeah. reply. Um, but we have hundreds upon hundreds of unanswered questions. Um, we'll we'll do a we'll do a comic relief twenty four hour podcast <laughs> marathon of questions one day to get the backlog down. I don't know, but that's it. That's it. But it's it, it has it's completely taken us by surprise. I mean, they, they always say be big or be niche in the world yeah. of, of podcasts, and, and we we are niche. The the beauty of the questions pod because we do two a week. We do a news one mm-hmm. on on a Thursday, and then uh, a questions one. The beauty of the questions one is that some of the questions are really quite complicated accounting detail questions which kieran loves if somebody asks a question about when an asset should be declared i i drift off and he has a signal where i'd come back but then some of the questions are like there's one I, we had a couple of weeks ago is like which player pound for pound is is worth more is weight in gold than any other so okay. it's that sort of question and a question we've got this week a simple one that you don't occur it's like how do the royalties get paid for the money that's paid up played uh, the music that's played at half time that's that sort okay. of Simple question. So they're really broad range of questions. And also the, yes. the fact is that we give a voice to to a lot of football fans who haven't got a voice. So, for example, we um, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about um, the increasing cost of football for wheelchair users, mm-hmm. which led to a lot of people talking, telling us about, well, there are other disabled fans other than wheelchair users and, and telling us stuff that we didn't know about some disabled car parks, a 15-minute right. walk from the ground, this sort of thing. And now off the back of that, we've got somebody from a disabled supporters group coming onto the to show to tell us stuff that we didn't know. And, and we yeah. can give people a voice that they didn't have. And it's like York City, for example, we're probably the only international podcast that would give them a platform to tell us about what's happening at, at their club, the same at Scunfort. And the thing is, so sometimes Kieran does himself down. Because Kieran, because of his years of, of um, even-handed work in this field, Kieran has an enormous amount of integrity, not just amongst fans, but amongst people in the game. I mean, Kieran was a key witness at the the inquiry that led to the Tracy Crouch fan-led review. I, right. I'm, I'm convinced there's something going on between Kieran and Tracy Crouch, obviously, <laughs> which is a running joke of the pod. But you know, people in Parliament, people when when the Derby County thing was unravelling and looked like it was going bad, Derby fans knew that Kieran was a source, a safe source to go to. It's almost like yeah. the BBC in World War Two. 
Yeah. They knew that if they wanted to get straightforward, fact-based information, uh, and and everybody knows where Kieran and I stand. That mm-hmm. yeah, we're old-fashioned, hopeless romantics about football and the fact that it, every club belongs to its community and belongs to its fans. But that doesn't stop us being as unbiased as possible when it comes to dealing with stuff, or Kieran in particular. And Kieran's reputation and integrity is such that people aren't scared to come on and talk to us. And we will ask somebody, you know, we won't ask difficult questions to somebody from a fan group uh, from Motherwell, for example. But when we do get, and we've had politicians on, and we do CEOs on, we will ask them tricky questions. But we'll always tell them beforehand that we're going to ask them tricky questions. And we'll always ask them politely so you know yeah. we 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 know we, we think that fans are better represented by politeness and good manners than by shouting at them uh and also you know like the everton situation last week we got stick from some Everton fans because we said we are, we wholeheartedly agree with everton fans and their, their protest after mm-hmm. the game their non-violent protest but we think some of the everton fans behavior was 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 poor Right. Which I think, and and some of those Everton fans took exception, but most Everton fans said thank you for reflecting that point of view. So, you know, we just we we try not to be controversial, but occasionally you can't help it. We just try and represent both sides of the argument. But the fact is, quite often, the, the other side of the argument won't talk to us. So, for right. example, you know, Partick Thistle fans in dispute with the owners of the club, we speak to the party official fans. We we always say, we contact the owners of party official and say, can we talk to you as well? Mm-hmm. Would you like to come on? We always give them the option. They very rarely take us up on it. Sometimes they do. So we are, we, we do try to be open and, and fair, but it's all, I know I'm, I know I'm quite good at what I do for a living. I can make people laugh. I can present stuff, but without Kieran's incredible knowledge and passion and integrity that, you know, Kieran could do, uh, Kieran always says, no, you couldn't, you know, Kieran could train another comedian to do it what I do in two weeks. We, there is no other Kieran. So it stands or falls on on his integrity, which is why he's always being such a media talk. He's always, it's why he's so, I'm amazed he's giving you half an hour. <laughs> he's, normally he's got, he's got Sky or the BBC or TalkSport to, to talk to about some major, major thing. So he's a also the other thing as well, which I, which I find really interesting is we've, we've only been doing this three years. I think we've already had 30 or 40 people who, who have said, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, take up, Football accounting or, or, or a degree in football finance, off the back of of Kieran's passion and off the back that Kieran teaches football finance at, right. at Liverpool University, of course. So we think, yeah, basically, it, it turns out that two middle aged blokes pissing about is actually quite important. But that's how it started, essentially. Yeah. But we didn't realise what a can of worms we were opening. To be honest, I, I thought we'd have. I thought, I thought we'd probably get three months of financial stories out of it, but it's just, sure. unfortunately, it's the gift that keeps on giving because as each week goes by, there's another numpty who buys a club that he can't afford or there's another club selling out to a cryptocurrency that won't exist next week. Mm. And as each week goes by, there, there are fans of more clubs that are concerned. And you know, Kieran's predicted two or three big situations that have, have arisen. Kieran said 12, 14 weeks beforehand, I think there's an issue here, mm. and we've watched as it's as it's grown, and, and we've tried to head it off where possible. So you're two chaps on a mission. I think that's something I didn't necessarily appreciate at first. You know, that there's a real kind of, you know, positive aspect and kind of voice for the fans that you guys have as part of the podcast. So I really do like that. Um, I wanted to kind of ask in terms of obviously originally it span out of your book that you published in 2020, Kieran. Um, how did it? become a podcast whose idea was that you kind of met you talked about a producer there earlier Kevin like how did that work 
Well, I uh, uh, I do a lot of work with Radio Five Live. In, mm-hmm. uh, in, in I used to live in uh, in Manchester. Uh, spent forty years living in Manchester. So I I used to do a program called Wake Up to Money for any football stories. And Wake Up to Money goes out at quarter past five. So so they it's always a challenge to get guests at that time of the morning. Mm. The vast majority of them would phone in. I, I'd physically go into the studio um, at half past five in the morning because I'm, I'm just odd. Um, so <laughs> so I, I got to know one of the producers um, called Guy. And uh, Guy, Guy, was, Guy, Guy seemed to like me because mm. I, I work with super smart people at university. I'm smart. I'm not super smart. The only gift that I've got, the only talent that I've got, in, I think, is I can make complicated things sound understandable. So he, he, he liked... What, what we were doing, what I was doing uh, whenever I went on Five Live. And, and he just phoned me one day out of the blue saying, I think I'm setting up a podcast company. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd like to do a football finance podcast. And my reaction was was the same as that of Kevin. You know, initially, I said, it won't work with just me because I don't think single-person podcasts, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I don't think single-person podcasts like would work. I, I'd known of Kevin's work um, you know, for match of the day, for Channel Four, for doing the racing, the cricket, all of those other sports. Mm. But the thing that struck me most of all was that when Brighton nearly went bust in 1996-7, Kevin, who's a Crystal Palace fan, did a benefit gig to help Brighton. And uh, right. I wanted integrity in the show. And for me, that's that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate. And and so, um, you know, I, I said to to to, to Guy, um, especially it was having a midlife crisis at the time and was mo- thinking of moving back down to Sussex, but continue right. to work in Liverpool. Um, you know, we, we, when we started doing the show, we, we physically used to meet up. Um, and, and then, then we discovered uh, this, this, this thing called lockdown and, mm-hmm. and we've been online ever since. I never did get a thank you for that Brighton gig. I think I, I think I had to pay my own train fare home, as I recall. <laughs> Chaps, um, look, I could talk to you about the podcast forever, um, but I'm conscious of time. So I just wanted to kind of cover off the shirts you've chosen to talk about today. I know you guys do talk about shirts quite often yeah. on the podcast, and you've released your own one for the podcast too, right? We did, yeah, we, yeah, we did. Um, uh, with typical efficient timing, uh <laughs> Uh, they weren't ready for Christmas, <laughs> so, <laughs> they were because they were, they're all properly ethically made in in this country. So they we they had to be ordered then and then made. But right. I think it was probably both Kieran and I were the sort of kid who spent a lot of time at school designing shirts just you know haphazardly during lessons. Just um, so when we got the opportunity to work with an actual shirt manufacturer, I think it was probably Kieran and I's. That meeting we had was, was one of the happiest two hours I've ever had, just discussing nice. what the kit should be. And, and also, again, this is something else we we discussed in the pod, but only because Kieran is colourblind. It, it had never occurred to me in all my life watching football that eight percent of the people in the in a football crowd were colourblind. And 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 every 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 week I get an impassioned WhatsApp from Kieran going, I can't. Can tell which team's which, <laughs> so we had to take we had to take all this into consideration, and also we you know, we we spoke to somebody from the Colourblind Association who told us that she knew she wouldn't say names, but she knew of a couple of high profile footballers that had had high profile moves that didn't work for them because they moved to a club whose shirt they couldn't actually see to pass oh. to. So these are, again, these are all things that I learned doing it, but uh, designing that kit and the badge and that was really really happy two hours because I, I we both love kits we both yeah. 
I, it's, we've both got very, very understanding partners, but even their patience is sometimes yes. put to the test <laughs> by going, have a look, Ali, see, have you seen this? What? Look at this. Look what Roma were wearing in 1963. <laughs> nice. Well, it's so easy to geek out on. So, so Kieran, you've picked three shirts. We're going to whiz through because you've got another media engagement. You're such a busy man. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're going to uh, whiz through these. So the first one you've picked out for us is the Man United 1970s away shirt by Admiral. This is a white one with stripes on. Talk to me about this one. Why have you picked it? Um, the, the reason why I chose it was I remember at school the first time we saw it on the telly. And yeah, we were used to monochrome football kits. Um, yeah, Manchester United in those days were were, were not the successful club that, that, that you associate. But um, everybody in school wanted it. And I remember saving up my pocket money. And I had my Brighton shirt, but fo- to have a football shirt, which was, you know, the Brighton shirt was a blue and white striped shirt. Didn't even have a badge on in those days, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, to have uh, a manufacturer's badge, the club crest, and the sort of the glamour of these three white stripes going de- down the front of it was uh, uh, was amazing. So it, it, you just wanted to play in it because it it, it seemed real. Whereas the clubs didn't used to sell merchandise, so I think it was the, it was sort of very much the start. I appreciate Leeds had had that relationship with Admiral mm. as well, with mm. the uh, with the white shirts and the yellow shirts and so on. And it, it was just sort of the start of that that for that for me that period of being interested in football shirts and it was the one that always uh, uh, stuck out for me well, that that the the admiral kit at leeds is really interesting because don revy of course was involved but i think i'm right in saying that part of the deal with admiral was that leeds wore their away kit no matter what colors the home team was was wearing so they wore their that every away game as part of the deal so mm-hmm. which is why it became so iconic i think plus the tabs as well and the uh, the the little smiley face badge. Yeah, I had no idea about that. It's very interesting. Yeah, oh, interesting. So, uh, Kieran, shirt number two. You've gone with Germany '98 to 2000. Is this the '98 World Cup one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, uh, it it had the 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 German colours uh, yeah. across the top of yeah. the shirt uh, in sort of a, you know, a wavy line. Uh, German football, I think, in those days was was pretty cool as well, uh, in, in terms of the people that were playing the game, and uh, you know, be, being colour blind, I I have I have quite an affinity for white shirts because um, if if you are colour blind, people not familiar with it, um, you, you live you live life on a on a light and dark scale. Okay, so white is great, yeah, because um, although I struggle with white and yellow, uh, and I struggled. Uh, a week or two ago, when when uh, when Southampton beat Manchester mm. City in the uh, in the League Cup, because Southampton's kit it, it is white shirt with a red bit down it, yep. and Manchester City's to me looked white with a couple of uh, hoops around the front. Um, but yeah, it was just a cool. I, I, I've, I'm a huge fan of German football and German football culture mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I, I went to the World Cup in 2006, and. Had a, had a fantastic time. Uh, I've been to a few World Cups. That was the one I think I enjoyed the most because I realised I went just so, so much in common with German football fans. You know, they are, it, it is that that culture of the football club belongs to us. 
And uh, I think they're really well organized, probably more organized collectively mm. than, than fans here are. Yeah, of course. Uh, and I, I, I just like, I just like like the the coolness of, of of Germans, and and I went there, not with, not with any prejudice, but you know, I, I grew up with Dad's Army and, and you know, <laughs> films films about films about Dan Busters and so on, and, and and there's always that at the back of your mind, and then you realise, okay, I've just been a complete moron for um, all these years, uh, and it was yeah, it was one of the best experiences of my life, and it, and it's my favourite German shirt. Fantastic. Don't tell him, Pike. Okay, then. So <laughs> we're going to go. Your final shirt, Kieran, is the Brighton Away shirt, red and black number between 99 and 2003, the Bobby Zamora era. This is your club, right? This, this is my club. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think you've always got to have the favourite club, the favourite shirt of your club. And um, this was, we were just coming out of the absolute doldrums, you know, finishing 91st in the uh, in, in the pyramid for two years running. Yeah. We just got back out of uh, playing at Gillingham and, and we were now playing at this, this absolutely awful theatre of trees, you know, 6,000 capacity. <laughs> um, um, and then we signed this, this, uh, this, this lad called Bobby Zamora and it was a big thing because we paid a hundred thousand pounds for a football, which was unheard of in those days. Yeah. Um, and and he, and he scored left, right, and centre. And it was it was red and black stripes. We were sponsored by Skint Records. Mm. Fat Boy Slim again, you know, sort of very iconic. But the the way that the the uh, the motif was woven into the shirt just made it look really good as well. So yeah, I've got a huge affection for that one. Love it. Well, mate, they're three fantastic choices. Thanks very much for sharing with us, and uh, let you jump off to this other media engagement. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much. Cheers. Coming up, I speak to Kevin about comedy, match of the day two, and of course he picks his three favourite football shirts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cosy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, so back with just Kevin this time. We've both gone and made a nice cup of tea. Um, so, Kevin, I just wanted to ask you a bit about, you know, like I've been aware of your work for years, the comedy you've done, the broadcasting, but you've done a lot of stuff, football side as well, like match of the day reports and like five yeah. live talk sport and things. How did that all come about? How did you get aligned with football in the first place? Well, the, the match of the day, two things, probably the it's the best job I've ever had, wow. basically. So it's... Um, near enough 14 seasons in the end, sort of eight, 10 times a season, traveling the, the country, uh, basically I, I, giving a fan's eye view of, of football. So yeah, uh, met a lot. Of, and it, it came about simply because uh, the BBC decided that they wanted to have a, a, a sort of funkier young cousin for match of the day. <laughs> uh, and because uh, Sunday games were becoming... Uh, a regular thing. So there are always going to be Sunday games. They wanted to cover those and they thought this was an opportunity to have a bit sort of a bit more. And that is actually the word they use. It's very BBC funkier down with the kids <laughs> thing. And it just so happened that the, the producer of the first series was uh, a Palace fan who huh. I'd met a couple of times and he, he just approached me and asked me if I'd like to do it. And originally... I was supposed to be in the studio. I was supposed to be, I was supposed to do like five minutes at the end. Okay. Uh, of like, oh, did, did you see what happened here? Which, which sort of turned into too good, too bad. But yeah, the first the first three weeks, the first week, because they got the timings wrong, I didn't even get, I, I was on the sofa, but never said anything, <laughs> uh, which Gordon Strachan never fails to remind me every time I see him. <laughs> uh, the second week I was into my, I was literally like, oh, well, at the West Brom, oh, we've run out of time. Um so they decided that that, that wasn't a, a viable idea, but they still wanted to use me. So they came up with this idea of making me the sort of roving reporter, uh, you know, looking for difference. So they would give me a story to go. So that's how I ended up meeting Sylvester Stallone at Everton, wow. spending the day with Delia Smith in church at Norwich, all sorts of also, and and getting the sort of access that as a kid. I mean, as a to, as a kid, I mean, match of the day. The first time I was in the studio and the match of the day music was playing, I was just like. I can't, you know, actually being on the pitch when when players are warming up, getting in the dressing room at Old Trafford, it yeah. just was just, it's just like, it's a cliche, but they're just all real pinch me moments. And, yeah, and, you know, getting, getting your name chanted, not always in a positive way by fans <laughs> as you walk around the pitch. But it's, because what happened, and it helped that I was a Palace fan as well, and Palace were a championship team at the time. So people knew that I supported my local team. Mm. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't a glory hunter, so to speak. So I, I and it, it became quite clear after the first season that I did it that we were there. We were on the fan side. We weren't taking a piss out of anyone. We just wanted yeah. to reflect their stories. We just wanted to talk to them. <clears throat> just wanted to show people at home what it was like to get on a coach at three o'clock in the morning. You know, there's one story where where my producer Mark he he, he wanted to send me. Uh, I went to Torquay. Right. To travel from Torquay to Old Trafford with a bunch of Devon Man United fans. 
Okay. And I was like, oh, brilliant. So you want me to take the piss out of these uh, glory? He said, no, 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 the opposite. We want you to, we want to find out why these people support Man United and why they're willing to get up at three o'clock in the morning. And it turned out that all these people had these brilliant stories and they were all like, because their dad, uh, one of them was because his dad was a soldier and been based down there. One of them was because okay. his, they, but they all had reasons for being Man United fans. One yeah. was his dad, his granddad met George Best once and that was enough, but they were all proper fans. They were all home and away fans. So, we just, I just loved that. I loved it. I mean, I missed a lot of Palace games, which was unfortunate, but right. just the the people that I met and the insight that I got, it was just, I, I was I was so excited. And it's still now, it's still a lot of people still say, oh, I really love those pieces. I really, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm really good friends with, with two um, Man City fans. I got talking to this posh woman called Ina, right. very proper Cheshire posh, but home and away Europe, I'd wow. been to Man City since since the sixties, and she became very good friends. And even now, when you know, City are coming to Sellers Park a couple of weeks' time, she's already phoned up because I have to reserve a space for a car yeah. outside the pub. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's that grand, you know. I mean, it's like, and there's a, there's a, a chap who's he's now the head of Man City's gay supporters group. I've met him; he's become good friends. So, right, I made all these. It was just, yeah, it's just fantastic. It was a wonderful job. And then off the back of that. I was like, yeah, that's when I started to get asked to do all sorts of stuff. For radio, I do a lot of talk sport, always being yeah. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really proud of the fact that I, I kind of have, and I think that helps on the pod as well. We talk yeah. about Kieran's integrity. I, I do know that, I, I, I certainly amongst a certain generation of fans, I do have a level of integrity. For people know that I've, I've been there. They know that I've, I've been to Carlisle on a, on a wet Saturday afternoon <laughs> as a Palace fan. You know, I've been away to Shrewsbury. I've had stuff chucked at me in Blackburn on, on a you know on a train there. So I've <laughs> I've done all those things that football fans love talking about in pubs. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And still, even now, going to Palace, uh, Newcastle tomorrow. We're recording this on the Friday. Mm. As my wife says, I'm already excited about going to the same pub and talking the same bollocks to the same people <laughs> in the same table. That it, it's it's almost reached a stage for me where the game's kind of here, neither here nor there. It's just yeah. It's just being with the fans, you know what I mean? And it's like, I, I, football's changed as well, but I've never had any any animosity at all whatsoever from any other, any fans for right. being a Palace fan. And I think a lot of that is to do with with, with match of the day, match of the day too. So it's it's I love doing it and I'm really proud that I, that I did that. So all of that experience that you had up and down the country, like talking to fans and hearing their stories, did that help you? Because I noticed that you published a book in 2020 as well about the... the yeah. It's called Who Are You? 92... Football clubs and why you shouldn't support them. Did yeah. the, those stories feed into the book? Some of them did. Yeah. The the, the reason why I, I, I've always wanted to write a book. I love reading. My dad taught me to read at the age of of, of four. Right. Because he was a uh, uh, God rest him. He was a good a good old fashioned uh, trade union lefty, and he he thought right. it was important that working class kids could could talk to the enemy basically. So and I've always <laughs> loved reading. I've always loved writing. I always wanted, to, as, a, as a comedian, I was a very good comedian, very influential, but I missed out on the sort of the DVD generation. I was just before that. So there okay. isn't much, there isn't much of my stuff knocking about, if you know what mm -hmm. I mean. There's the odd YouTube clip, but you can't buy a DVD of my. So I always thought that a book would be the only way I'd sort of leave a legacy, if you like. Yeah. And I always thought the book would probably be about football. But what I wanted to, because I used to enjoy, I, I, I still, I, you know, I've, I've I've had some brilliant times at Liverpool, Man United, Man City, but I've 
But I, 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 t- I tended to be happier when I was sent to Portsmouth or Middlesbrough or, or West Brom. You know, I mean, clubs that I could sort of relate to and fans that I yeah. could relate to. And I, I wanted to write a book where every club had a chapter. I wanted to write a book that had as much about Accrington as it did about Liverpool, as much about Mansfield as it did about Man City. So, uh, so basically, the, I just wrote this book, which is a sort of not tongue in cheek. I did some research, but it was a history of every every football club, but from a yes. sort of alternative viewpoint. Okay. Um, uh, and I love doing it, and people were really, really happy that their clubs were included. That I treated quite rightly, you know, to a to a Morecambe fan. Their clubs as important as Liverpool is. Same Liverpool reverence, fans. yeah. The same okay. reverence, of course. It's the same importance. So I gave the same level of importance to all, and also I took the whole. Originally, the book was called "It's Ninety Two Football Clubs and Why You Shouldn't Support Ninety One of Them." But Bloomsbury insisted <laughs> I included, I included Palace. So I came up with reasons, three reasons for why you should never go to each club, basically. But also, a lot of it was me talking about away games I had at different places you know so it's like a lot of it was personal football memories as well and yeah. and also because I took it was equal opportunities piss taking as well I took the piss out of Liverpool as much as I did out of you know uh Plymouth Argyle if if you like sure. so I think people appreciated that but also part of the book was just not debunking it's like the, the chapter on West Brom for example mm-hmm. was based around their nickname the baggies and why they're called the baggies right and there's about 17 versions of why they're called the baggies. And they're all bollocks. <laughs> all of them. All of them are nonsense. Right. And so that's what I spoke of. That so that was my that's how I spoke about the history of West Brom. Yeah. You know, one of the theories was, of course, that the the, the money, the gate money was collected in, in a in a bag, blah, blah, blah. Okay. One of the theories was that there was a player strike and the kids had to play and they wore the first team kits and they were very baggy. All, all nonsense you know yeah I mean and but it, that's and kits and, and so there's a lot of talk about kits because I love kits so for example um, you talked about my top three kits it's very difficult but Bradford's not quite in the top three but it it, it it's always on the front I love Bradford's kit yeah and I love the fact that the kit's described as not red and red and yellow stripes it's always been officially described as claret and amber yeah and doing the research for the book I love finding out that there's a theory that that's described that they, they wore claret and amber stripes and the claret represented the wine that the bosses drank in the boardroom and the amber represented the beer that the players drank, which again is probably bollocks, but it's one of those stories that football fans cherish. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like if you're a Bradford fan, you cherish that story, even though you know it's not true because it's part of your history. And I love finding out, you know, like Plymouth Argyle's kit, was it based on the uh, Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders yeah, kill or not. So there's all sorts of stuff that the kits, kits, badges. I love all that stuff. I love everything that links a club back to its to its early days. I love finding out why. And also, you find out that some of the kits back in the early days of football in the 1880s they were they were fancy. Yeah, they were yeah. really fancy. But also, there's there's a great thing as well that uh, a lot of the play, a lot of the clubs, especially in the south, where the players tended to be more gentlemanly, if you like, they mm-hmm. would so they would decide on a kit. So there's a brilliant picture of, of I think it's Clapton or I can't remember or, or Wanderers or one of the teams that won the yeah. FA Cup first of all. So they decided on a kit, and then all the players would go and get the kit made up by their individual tailors. So wow. some of them had different, some of them had different collars, okay. some of them had laces, some of the stripes were slightly different. So there's no idea of uniform kits. So finding all that stuff out for the book was just, just fascinating. Just fascinating. I do I, I do say in the foreword to the book that if you're 
if you're going on mastermind and the yeah. history of football is your specialist subject, don't use my book as research. <laughs> a lot, a lot of it is a level of research you get from talking to blokes in pubs. But I, it's one that I just kid. I just yeah. And then there's a kid as well. The only reason I like I love Subutio as a kid. I didn't like playing it. But I told everybody I loved it because I just wanted to get kits, teams for, for Christmas. I just wanted to get the kits. I, mm. I love them now. I got for my, uh, I had a big birthday recently, which I'm, you know, I can't tell you because people <laughs> will be too shocked to hear that thing. A man who looks that young can't be that age. <laughs> but but somebody got me a Subutio kit of my of my favourite Palace kit. I, like, I couldn't have been more happy. It's brilliant. So I've always I've always loved a football kit. And like I said earlier on, with would generally in at school. Just like draw a little shirt and then get a, and then say, oh, what's it going to be? Start. I think kits are yeah. brilliant now. I still do. I think yeah. I think a lot of people I've had on the podcast have said very similar things. It's a definite kind of part of football and a part of growing up and a part of the wider social history, as you say. Um, yeah, so you, yeah, and also you can sort of place yourself as well. You know, when you see a, you know, if you watch the big match revisited, for example, or you yeah. see it, it's like when when Pele died, for example. The only consolation about that was you saw these brilliant clips. And you go, oh crikey! I remember that. I remember what I was doing that when they when Brazil had that kit yeah. or that collar. You know, I mean, it's it's they're they're a fantastic link to your your own past as well as football history. Yeah, do you know? I find that the videos of that seventy World Cup for some reason the color of it, whatever it was, the way they filmed, just the way the kits pop in that World Cup is just incredible. Yeah, I, I think coming out of a black and white era, so just unbelievable. Well, well, that's the thing with me is I the the second kit I talk I will talk to you about in a, in a minute. Um, I, it's, we didn't get a colour telly uh, not until about 1971, so we were right. quite late getting a colour telly. But we got it on the Monday, and my dad let me have the afternoon off school because the colour telly was arriving. And it's just like, <laughs> and it's like mum just couldn't wait for Crossroads and Coronation Street. Yeah. Said. But all my dad and me would, because my dad went, we oh, this is a terrible, we should have got it on Friday. So we've got a whole week to wait for match of the day. Right. To see football in colour, on yeah, I've seen football in colour. I used to go to Sellers Park, so I knew what football looked like in colour. Yeah, yeah, but seeing it on telly for the first time, and, and it was an Everton game, you think, oh my god, you just, just fantastic. I, and I still remember that Everton kit now, that royal blue, mm. plain royal blue white shirt, just because that was the first team I saw a match today in colour. Love it, I love it. Yeah. Well, you picked out three crackers here, and a real kind of like. Uh, a real kind of nod to the past as well, which I like as well. Or actually, I should confirm. So you, you've mentioned a, a Palace shirt as your first shirt, but it's yeah. the claret and blue stripes with yellow trim. Are we talking about from the end of the sixties, or are we talking about kind of later dates where you've had yellow trim on quite a few shirts? No, the end of the, the they quite a few of the kits, the red and blue kits later on now have had yellow trim. But this is yeah. the, the classic one from the end of the the end of the sixties. Like it, you know, like sometimes when you ask your favorite songs, mm. depending on what day it is and what mood you're in, they change. But there's always one favorite, and this this one is always my favorite. And Palace, we were a real backwater humdrum club. Yeah, right. And we spent most of our lives uh, from 1905 in third division south or the fourth division. But all through that time, we were quite imaginative and experimental with with kits. We had some right. quite unusual kits. Like in, in 1961, we had this white shirt, black shorts with a claret and blue thing. Of course, you know, Steve Parrish now claims that we were founded in 1861, not 1905. Okay. So he's made a lot of money marketing the shirt from 1861, which is half uh, light blue, half white. But yes. if if you if if you accept that we were started in 1905, our first kit was borrowed from Aston Villa. So yep. we used to wear claret and blue. So we've always had versions of claret and blue, but the, the 68, 69 then going into the first division one, 
claret with light blue stripes mm. and a yellow, just a round yellow collar, just for me is the best kit. It's the best kit ever. The the reason I want to become a multimillionaire is so I can buy Palace and make them wear the yeah, because we, you know, the, the red and blue kit is great. And when Malcolm Allison took over, we started putting badges on arms. Yeah. We put numbers in the middle of the front. We okay. mucked about with all sorts of things. The, the white kit with the red and blue sash, which mm. I can't say out loud isn't my favourite kit because every <laughs> other Palace fan would kill me. <laughs> but that claret and blue, that claret and blue kit, it shouldn't really work, but it's just claret with thin light blue stripes. Yeah. And we we mucked about with variations with a light blue, but that one with the yellow collar, it just it sort of ruined because they wore white shorts with it a lot of time. But it, yeah. but then claret socks. But for me, that kit, and of course, it's to do with my with growing up and my own history and childhood. But I still think it's a it's a thing of beauty. I love that kit. And then they went and ruined it by having the white one with the claret and blue stripe down the front, which right. under normal circumstances I would think was a brilliant kit. But because it replaced the claret and light blue stripes, well, then you liked. It, and and I still my my son one of my Christmas presents was a program from John Sewell's testimonial in 1971. Okay, which, which is a lovely gift. And then lo and behold, on Boxing Day, uh, one of the players who played in that game, David Payne, he still it still comes to the pub we drink in before Palace game. So wow, I just got quite emotional because I thought that man wore that kit in that photograph in that program I just got you know and 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 mm-hmm. here I am. All these years later, talking to him, it's it's brilliant. So that kit, for me, that kit's the best kit ever. Really evocative, beautiful, interesting. I, yeah, I'd never seen that one before, so I really do like that one. Um, your next shirt, this is one I have seen before. This is a real cult pick. Um, it's yeah. really interesting as well. So this is Birmingham City's away shirt between 72 and 74. I think it's by Umbro, and it's based on the flag of West Germany, which just seems so odd, right? I remember, I might have got this wrong, but in my head... We saw a match of the day on Saturday night. But for us in London, it was the big match yep. on Sunday with Brian Moore. That was the really important one. Uh, I, I loved Brian Moore. I wish I got to meet him because everyone said he was just the nicest man. But in my head, the first game uh, we, I saw on the Sunday in colour, and I, I'm, I'm convinced it was QPR Birmingham, but wherever it was, Birmingham were on it, and they had that kit. And it was so brilliant. I thought, I said to my dad, I think there's something wrong with the color on the telly right as it's like and I, I i read during research for my book that in the, the first years of the first world war blackpool had a kit that represented the belgian flag to show solidarity with belgium but why birmingham chose this kit mm. which was basically yellow black and red it was basically the the, the west german flag of the time but it looked yeah. it was just fantastic and I can only assume someone at the time was clever enough to say that in 50 years' time, this kit is going to be a retro icon. Yeah. Because I know I know Birmingham fans absolutely love it. They yeah. are, that, I, I used to quite like that Birmingham kit, anyway, the blue with the white stripe down the middle. But, yeah. but that kit was just, I thought that was like, I thought this is amazing. I thought this is the future arrived on my doorstep in 1972. And it's just like, there was, it just looked, I also the fact that it was, it's like, Birmingham, you know, no disrespect. It's a fact. It's like Palace wearing it. It's like, why is a team like Birmingham yeah. being this adventurous? You know what I mean? It's like it was just, it was it was a gorgeous kit. And because and I remember they had this player called Trevor Hockey who had this huge beard. Right. So I just remember the beard and the kit, and it's just like you think, oh, that's that's really cool. And then you think it's one of those things you think it's so cool. I wonder if it's too late to switch teams. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried to look into why they had it, and all I could find was that. 
apparently there's a rumor a bit like the West Brom rumors that you were talking about that yeah. they went on a pre-season tour of Germany and the chairman just liked the colors so it wasn't even well, like that, a marketing that, decision or well, that, see that's interesting because you found out more than I did because when I was right. researching Birmingham for for because I like I like Birmingham because uh, I know if I was born in Birmingham, I'd have ended up being a Birmingham fan, not a Villa right. fan. Okay. You know, in the same way that I ended up being a Palace fan, not a Chelsea fan. I, I always kind of quite like the club that are second in a city, if you know what I mean, or supposed mm. to be. But I couldn't, I could find nothing. Uh, not, yeah, you know, my research doesn't go that deep, but I couldn't even find that information out about why they, why they chose it. Because, because also it's quite a strange decision because you know Kieran mentioned Dad's Army. Yeah. earlier yeah at the time sort of the late 60s early 70s all the all the comics all the films the germans were still the the bad guys the you know? jokes, so it's, yeah so yeah. it's still quite it was still it was quite ballsy to pick a kit that looked exactly like the german flag yeah, it's interesting. I guess like they weren't selling replicas at the time so there wasn't a commercial aspect to think about. Which you know that's another that's another really interesting point Craig is I I I know that uh Aston Villa Right, the first year of the so 1888 or whatever mm. they they did sell some kind of replica you could get a copy of the shirt somehow okay but i don't know whether that's true or not but it's really hard to pin down when the whole replica shirt because like by the 90s the whole replica shirt thing was huge but yeah it's really hard to pin down just when you could and couldn't buy replica shirts yeah you know, um, and it certainly wouldn't have been in 1972, there's certainly, I don't think you would have been able to buy a, an away shirt in the club shop. So I don't think those decisions were made. Because you remember, you're you're way too young to remember. But for the most part, in those days, you didn't wear the away kit unless you absolutely had to. Yeah. yeah. And even even then, you would change the shirt. You wouldn't change the socks. So Palace would go would play away in a yellow shirt, but still with the white shorts and the claret blue socks. So the whole idea of having a a, a, a standard second kit wasn't, yeah. It wasn't really a thing until sort of the mid eighties, yeah, uh, late. Well, maybe a bit earlier than that. But but that kit's still one that I, every now and again I close my eyes and see that bouncing around in front of me. <laughs> well, they actually I looked into this as well. They reissued it uh, for their hundred and fortieth season, yeah. and I think it's twenty fifteen it come out. So that it reissued like a modern take on it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which looked great. Yeah, I like it. I've never had that one chosen before, so I like that choice a lot. Um, and this one, your final shirt that you've chosen, this is, I mean, a beautiful classic. So you've gone for the very kind of iconic late 60s Fiorentina purple home shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a toss-up. For me, this could have been Roma mm-hmm. uh, in the 70s or 80s. Could have been Ajax at any time. Mm. Could have been Peru. Could have been Holland. But as a third choice, this and this came about purely because somebody bought me a Sabuto kit right. back in the, in the day. With just and it's just one even for them it looks it's just one color yeah so I, I love I love color I, I I'm not particularly artistic I, I like flower arranging on because I like working with color right uh, and orange is my favorite color but most of my especially my Irish Catholic family in Glasgow don't like me saying that so <laughs> okay. I have to say that, I, have to say, that <laughs> I have to say that Clementine is my favorite color yes. <laughs> but but after that I love like claret and purple and violet and that that Fiorentina kit just a chunk of color like it was just even now I, I, I looked it up again yesterday just to remind myself I almost I almost welled up <laughs> it's just such and it, also there's something about Italian players. Mm. whatever era they just look cooler and you see a photograph of an Italian you see a photograph of an English player from the 60s yeah. they look about 55 years of age yeah 
right? They look like they've probably been out drinking till about three in the morning. The hair's a bit unkempt. You see in a ta- photo of an Italian player, they're broad-shouldered, yeah, yeah, muscly, yeah. huge. They, they wear a kit. They really wear a kit so well. They all look like defiant yeah. gladiators. And it's, so there's a, this picture I looked at, it's like, oh, it's just a brilliant. <laughs> so that's how a footballer should look, and that's how a shirt should look. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just plain shorts. It's a it's a it's a brilliant it's a brilliant kit as I just oh, and it's again it's just that thing it brings back a memory it's just like and then and then of course what happens is you get bought the Sabutio kit and then you think well I'm gonna have to find out about this team so yeah that's I, I learned so much about history from as a kid growing up you think oh why why are Luton Town called the Hatters and then you look it up and you you find out about these things you think why has that club got that on the badge and you look it up and you find out and it's it's yeah. just fascinating and it, you know why that why is it a club wear that kit and you find and it's 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 brilliant they're brilliant things football kits well look Kevin it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you uh, thanks so much for sharing your football kit memories with me um, Lisa I wish you all the best of the pod I absolutely love it and I'm sure thousands thanks, of others do um, so people can tune in it's on all good podcast platforms um, they can also get your book is that on Amazon still that book uh, the book is still available yeah who are you um, 92 football clubs and why you should support them that's very much available on Amazon, it did, it did, it did quite well actually. I'm very pleased with that. So, um, and uh, there's a, another book in the offing for both Kieran and I as well. So, fantastic. So, so when that happens, we'll we'll come back on and talk to you again, hopefully. So there you have it. Massive thanks to both Kieran and Kevin for sharing their football kit memories with me. You can follow me on Instagram or get in touch via Twitter or email. Make sure you follow the chaps on Twitter too and listen to their excellent podcast, The Price of Football. It's one of my favourites. The music you heard on my podcast was produced by Evil Ed. You can check out his music on his Bandcamp page. There's links to everything that I've just mentioned there in the notes section too. And I guess finally thanks to you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do spread the word, give me a follow on social and subscribe to Football Kit Memories on your podcast player of choice. Sharing is caring. And other than that, I guess that's it. So until next time, and hopefully it won't be a year till I make another one of these, I'll catch you later. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 